Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is the lovely and talented Charles W. Chuckers Bryant. Hi. Hey, Chuck. Hi. So you've switched hats? Uh, from when to when? From the Chicago Bears hat to the Atlanta Braves hat? Yeah, that was yesterday. Yeah. Today's today. You're a man of many hats, Chuck. <laughs> many uh, fan allegiances. Uh, I'm not a Bears fan. You know what that was all about. Pumpkins. Yes. Pumpkin chunkin'. Yes, Josh. We uh, are going to mention, once again... The Discovery Channel, our awesome parent company, is releasing two television shows on Thanksgiving night. Don't confuse people, Chuck. They're going to be on the Science Channel. Well, sure. On Thursday, November 26th, which is Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Lots of dead, dead turkeys that day. Yep. The Road to Pumpkin Chunkin' and Pumpkin Chunkin'. Right. The Road to Pumpkin Chunkin' comes on at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Science Channel. Right. Followed by the real Pumpkin Chunkin'. Right. Uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern. I would follow it up with a show called The Road from Pumpkin Chunkin'. <laughs> right. You know. Going back home after Pumpkin Chunkin'. Right. In Delaware, no less. So that's that, right? Sure. All righty. So, Chuck. Yes, Josh. Um, this, I have like a, a little, this seems vaguely familiar. We're talking about mutual assured destruction. Okay. Well, how does that seem familiar? Because I did it with Candace many, many moons ago on uh, Stuff You Missed in History class. Really? Back when it was called Fact or Fiction. Dude, that was another lifetime, wasn't it? It really was. I have so many more gray hairs now, and Mm -hmm. like my posture is much more stooped. You have the Seattle slump? I do, (laughs) actually. Nice one. Thank you. Chuck, uh, we've talked about this, I think, here or there. We've mentioned it. Remember, we did a podcast on uh, how easy is it to steal a nuclear bomb. Sure. We concluded that if the Jamaicans are buying it and you steal it en route to Jamaica, right. you could probably get away with it. Right. Um, this podcast is specifically on a Cold War strategic doctrine called Mutual Assured Destruction, Yeah, which was abbreviated as MAD, appropriately enough. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, it's scary as all get out, but (laughs) it's also comforting in the same breath. It's weird. Well, yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, you and I grew up, we were Cold War babies. Sure. And we grew up with the uh, expressed knowledge that at any moment, nuclear war could break out. And if that happened, everyone on the planet was dead. Sure. And, like, that's how we were raised. Like, kids, kids that were born, like, what, in, like, mid-80s today? Right. Mm-hmm. Which is just nuts to me that there's people walking around that are sentient that were born in the mid-80s. Right. But uh, kids that were born in the mid-80s and after did not grow up with that specter looming over them. And I imagine are completely different people, personality-wise, than, like, you and I. Well, that's like everyone else on our staff, almost. Agreed. Did you ever think about that? I did not. There were a few old folks like us, although well, I'm much older than you, obviously. You, de- you definitely you are, like man. point out. <laughs> Chuck's uh, wearing right now a uh, jean jacket with uh, <laughs> a Sharpie marker used to, to do the Journey logo on the back. It's yeah. pretty uh, pretty cool, Chuck. Thank you. You burn out. Um, so, Chuck, as I was saying, we grew up as, as Cold War kids. Yes. Um, and every once in a while you have to stop and think why didn't the u.s and the ussr blow one another up are you asking me that yeah well, well let's talk about the cold war a little yeah, bit because the answer is the end of the podcast okay all right so let's save that all right uh the cold war josh i uh, had a couple of really scary moments if you want to talk about those i do the cuban missile crisis was, that was a pretty tense uh, couple of weeks probably the first one in 1962 uh President Kennedy threatened to strike once he found out that Russia had moved, or I guess the Soviet Union, had moved missiles to Cuba. 
mm-hmm. and we're pointing them at his face. And uh, Cuba seems like a world away, but it's really just 90 miles off the uh, southern coast of Florida. A short boat ride. Right. And so if you have um, nuclear, long-range nuclear uh, warheads pointed at the U.S., they can uh, hit their mark probably as far as Kansas City, let's say. Right. And they could definitely hit Tempe. Sure. That was a scary couple of weeks. Sure it was, because uh, there was a uh, standoff. Basically, we were saying, hey, we're going to nuke you if you don't remove these missiles. Right. And the Soviet Union said, oh, yeah, well, we'll nuke you back. Nanny, and actually, nanny, you can actually, uh, you can you can point to this as perhaps the beginning of the MAD doctrine. Right, sure. And uh, the other scary one was in 1980. When yeah, uh, Jimmy and this, Carter, this was weird. Chuck, this actually happened like several times, but I this know. was probably the worst. That's some bad communication going on. What happened was uh, NORAD got some information that the, the Soviet Union had launched 2,220 nuclear missiles our way. So, Chuck, yeah, um, in Nor- NORAD, uh, which is like our the command center for our um, missile system. Yeah, air defense. Uh, deep in uh, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. Nice. Um, on some computer screen, some guy's computer screen that, that tracks um, Soviet missile movement, all of a sudden it was just peppered yeah. with missiles that were coming this way. And, and um, National Security Director uh, Brzezinski. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Is that right? I think it's right. I can't remember. A lot, of, a lot of consonants. And it's not that I can't remember. It's that I've never heard it. I haven't either. Brzezinski. Sure. We're going with Brzezinski. Um, he was alerted. It's pretty early in the morning, right? Yeah, 2 a.m. He was alerted and woken up, and they're like, hey, there's a Soviet missile strike, an all-out missile strike. 2,220 missiles coming our way, sir. And he is picking up the phone to call President Carter, who I don't know what Carter would have done. Uh, Carter wasn't exactly um, the most militant president we've ever had. Great guy. Yeah. Great statesman. Great diplomat. He might have pooped his pants and... Gone back to bed, who knows? <laughs> Maybe so. Um, <laughs> but the... Uh, that was uh, terrible. He wouldn't have done that. Um, he, uh, he never got that phone call because Brzezinski was informed that, oh, wait, it's a computer glitch. Right. They whacked the side of the monitor and it all corrected itself. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. said that uh, what shocked me was it was a seven-minute window that uh, we had to decide what to do. Well, it's a long way from uh, the Soviet Union to the U.S., seven even minutes, by way though, of Alaska. Seven minutes. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. You have to make up your mind in seven minutes whether or not you're going to destroy the world, basically. I'm saying you would think that it would be less than seven minutes. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, that, so, scary so and I'm telling you, like, that was probably the worst case, but that happened many times during the course of the Cold War. Right. And from what I understand, the Soviets had similar incidents, too, right? Oh, did they? Yeah. So we have these incidents. We have the Cuban Missile Crisis. Why didn't either side pull the trigger? Because of the doctrine, the MAD doctrine. Basically, yes. which indicates that everyone will die. So the uh, you know we blow everybody up on both sides. So let's not do that. Right, and the USSR and the United States could actually very quickly from uh, 1947 to 1941, both nations were building up their nuclear arsenals, which is called nuclear proliferation. Right. Yes. Yes. I think I got that out. That's sort of. Um, and <laughs> nuclear proliferation. Nice. You take that one for the rest of the podcast, okay? Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, they so each side had this arsenal, and we're keeping up in step with one another. You know what that's called? Yeah. Nuclear parity. Yeah. Which is ideally what you want. Strangely. Yes. In this case, you definitely do. So both sides had more than enough 
nuclear missiles to wipe out not just the other side, but the entire planet mm -hmm. several times over. Yeah. That's a really important point. Several times over. Why would you need a, a nuclear arsenal that could wipe out the world, the planet, several times over? Now, maybe if they destroyed some of our weaponry with their strikes? That's part of it. Okay. But another part of it is because if one side adds a missile, you got to add a missile. Well, yeah. If, you, if you're seeking nuclear parity, which right. is really important, um, then you there can't be it can't be out of whack. How did they did they release all this information to each other? Was it no? It was intelligence guesses okay. that kind of stuff. So like all of like a sudden, there's like a, a metal hole right. in the ground in Wyoming that wasn't there before. The Soviets probably okay. assumed, oh well, they have a new nuclear warhead okay. there. They didn't IM each other and say <laughs> built new missile. LOL. LOL. Click. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you were gonna say that. So both sides are building up their arsenal. And early on, Chuck, um, I was reading another article on game theory, which mm -hmm. we'll see plays into this, written by uh, our esteemed colleague and my BFF, Tom Sheave. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he talks about how early on, apparently Eisenhower, who is, uh, what, the second president to have the bomb, but really the first president to manage, like, an amassed nuclear right. arsenal. To love the bomb. He Yeah, he stopped worrying. Um he looked at them as like any other type of weapon because he was a military man. Right. Um, but luckily there was a game theorist named Thomas Schelling who had the ear of Eisenhower and managed to convince him that, no, 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 these things are way, way more powerful and destructive than anything else in our arsenal. They exist in this in this vacuum that it has to be kept separate and therefore they should be viewed only as deterrents. And he managed to change Eisenhower's view. And from that right. point on, it was the, the presence of a nuclear arsenal was a weapon in and of itself. It was the preventative and not only to nuclear war, but the point that did you write this one? Uh -huh. The point that you made, which I found interesting, was that it also was a deterrent to conventional war. Excellent point. Because conventional war. There really, after after the arms race, there was no such thing as conventional war. No, and um, it, not between the U.S. and the USSR, right? Or, or a guaranteed conventional war. It might start out that way, but it would escalate, and all of a sudden, the button is pushed at some point. Right, because our nuclear arsenal did exist in, say, a vacuum outside right. of the rest of our arsenal. But once you exhausted the rest of the arsenal, then the inevitable conclusion was that, that nuclear arsenal being deployed, right? Right. Or so even if you didn't exhaust it, even if you just said, you know just what? Just got mad. Let's just end this game. Exactly. Um, so as a result, the U.S. and the USSR just fought a Cold War. They right. never uh, directly engaged one another, but they fought one another through proxy wars in places like Nicaragua and sure. Afghanistan, yeah. right? Um, got a lot of good movies out of the Cold War. Definitely. Rambo 3? Yeah, and the good, some good James Bond movies in that time. I liked it when I the Ruskies were the villain. It was you like the James Bond movies of the Cold. Well, okay, yeah, maybe the early ones. I'm thinking like Timothy Dalton era. Woof. Yeah, I mean, trust me, Roger Moore is kind of a laughable Bond now that I'm older and look back. You're crazy. Roger but, Moore is the best James <laughs> no, Bond well, that's ever. That's because we grew up with him. But looking back, I mean, come on, Roger Moore was kind of a doof. Maybe, no? <laughs> but that was I think that was his director that he was working with. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like Pierce Brosnan. He was good. He was okay. I'm pretty hip on the Daniel Craig. He's all yeah. right. Well, that's the only direction they could take that, really. What, After, blonde? No, just uh, more realistic uh, butt-kicking with fists and that kind of thing. You don't think Moonraker was realistic? No, uh, he was constantly, like, <laughs> winking at the camera <laughs> and making Can bad you puns. believe I'm saying this? <laughs> yeah, it's like Jonathan Strickland is James Bond, I guess. Right. <laughs> Good one. All right, so sorry about the sidetrack. Yeah. 
what happened was we created a detente. It wasn't like, okay, we all have the same amount of weapons, so we're BFFs now and it's all good. Right. It, it was a detente, meaning it was sort of a, uh, what, what's the best description of An that? An uneasy truce. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically the U.S. and the USSR had our weapons and were keeping an eye on one another. And Anytime one added a new missile or some new capability, the other scrambled to catch up and vice versa. And we just basically went to sleep with one eye open for the next several decades, right? right. Uh, so, Josh, what two things have to take place in order to achieve this uh, weird stability? Well, the weird stability, the very fact that it existed, it's not, it wasn't an organic... Um, it wasn't organically created by the presence of nuclear weapons, right? Okay. Um, Henry Kissinger, who was Secretary of State throughout much of the Cold War. Love Kissinger. Um, he actually was a huge fan of game theory. Uh -huh. He took a lot of game theory classes when he was a, an underclassman at Harvard, and he kept in touch with game theory and hung out with game theorists. And he uh, actually was one of the people who was responsible for applying game theory to nuclear strategy. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. And other people kind of caught on and saw that there was a lot of merit and, and validity to, to, to viewing um, nuclear strategy through game theory, sure. right? Um, so the two things really are having that arsenal. <laughs> yeah, you asked that part. <laughs> I'll answer my own question. The, the, what's key is, A, to have the weapons to begin with. Right. And then, as Robert McNamara uh, points out, the defense secretary in 1960s, was that you have to believe that the other guy actually has the cojones to pull the trigger. Right, and apparently uh, both the U.S. and the USSR like to leak uh, false information about how crazy their leaders were. Right. Do you remember how we were brought up viewing, like, the, oh, yeah. the Russians? Sure. Like, they were all nuts, right? Uh -huh. And they would just push the button at any second. Yeah, they wanted American blood. Apparently that was planted by the Russians because you have to believe that the other guy is willing to strike. Right. And and not just create a first strike, but definitely a counter strike as well, right? Sure. So if you are assured that if you launch a first strike that the next the other side's going to launch a retaliatory strike, right. what you've just done by launching that first strike is committed suicide. Pretty much. The the basis of mutual assured destruction is that nobody wants to die. Right. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, also at the time, I mean, at first, the, the, the way the nuclear warheads um, developed over the years is pretty cool. Because, like you pointed out, at first it was just a big, huge, dopey bomb that would just blow up everything. Yeah. Have you seen pictures of uh, Fat Boy and Little Man? Yeah. They, they really look like do cartoon look big, bombs. dumb. They, they do. They're like Bugs so. Bunny would drop out of the back of a plane. Yeah. Did you know they weren't the same type of bomb? Fat Man, which was dropped on Nagasaki, was plutonium. Uh -huh. And uh, Little Boy, which was dropped on Hiroshima, was uranium. Interesting. I didn't know that. And they were either. they were working on both of these. So basically, we split the atom in like right. the late 30s, and all of a sudden, we're just working on any kind of atomic bomb we want. Right, right. It's nuts. So uh, over the years, though, they became very precise and much more strategic. So yes. you could... Um, let's say, send your nuclear warheads to specific military targets at first, obviously, to wipe out you know, some of that capability. Well, hold on. You're talking about escalation. Let's talk about the yeah. nuclear proliferation. What's it wasn't called just a la ladder uh, of escalation? Well, hold on. It, let's talk about where the nukes were, right? Okay. So at, at the height of the Cold War, it wasn't just missile silos in Wyoming and you know, Kansas, right? Ukraine. It was um, there was the European theater, Eastern and Western, 
We had nuclear warheads all right. over the place there. Mm -hmm. um, at any given time, both the Soviets and the U.S. had aircraft in the air at any point in time. Right, with nuclear there, bombs. With nukes, right? We had nuclear submarines all over the globe. Yep. So land, sea, and air, both sides had it covered, right? Uh -huh. So, okay, we're, the, the world is completely covered with thermonuclear devices, right? very um, high-tech delivery systems, uh -huh. right? Specific. And both sides have enough to wipe the other one off the planet several times. We're at a detente, right? Big time. So what happens if somebody does launch a first strike? Because it's no longer a holocaust where we're just shooting missiles anymore, we have the capability to, to launch right. a precise surgical strike. Well, there would be a counter-strike. There is, but this is where the ladder of escalation you were talking about comes in. Well, yeah, you liken it to a chess game. There's a strike, then a counter-strike, and then, you know, increasing levels of, of strikes as they climb up the ladder. Isn't right. that how it works? So basically, yeah, it's like um, trading punches, right? Right. So you start out you start out soft, and I hit you. I don't. Then buddy, you, I, I you bring it me. all from the beginning. Well, then I'm really glad you weren't <laughs> at the helm of the United States or the USSR sure. during the uh, Cold War. But let's say let's say we were evenly matched, right? Yeah. And I punch you. You punch me a little harder. Uh huh. And I punch you a little harder. Right. And then uh, it keeps going on until finally one of us is like, "Okay, stop, right? uncle." But what we've done is we've escalated the damage we're doing to one another. Right. But there's something um, very important that, that's easily overlooked in that trade of punches. There's a moment that comes after each punch. Where someone might quit. Where somebody has the option sure. to quit, right? Yeah, yeah. Or trade another punch. And if you trade another punch, you're going to escalate. Right. So if in the case of nuclear arms that are real precise at this point, they take out a few of our military bases. We take a few of theirs out, and all of a sudden— one of the leaders steps back and says, wait a minute, right? we're going to annihilate everybody, we have to stop, you win. It, right, exactly. Um, and what's crazy is it's like uh, the, the fact that there would even be a retaliatory strike is all based on saving face, Sure. which is kind of disgusting in, in and of itself. Yeah. But um, yeah, both sides had this kind of agreement, I can't remember what it was called, where it's it's like in the ladder of escalation. Uh -huh. First, you start with like say a nuclear silo, right? And then you the next uh, the next rung on the ladder is you know actual troops, right? And then the next rung after that is like maybe a rural area. Then after that is like a city, and it keeps sure. going. And right? they're IMing each other between it, get, what, give up yet. Both sides knew what was coming next. It right. was part of the ladder of escalation. Sure. Yeah. Luckily, we never engaged in that. And but. luckily, there was no instant messaging back then too. I know that would have been fun. Or it could have saved, uh, th well, I guess we, we sure. were saved. But, Chuck, um, I know you recognize The Ladder of Escalation because your favorite movie, or one of them, yeah. uh, had this factor heavily into it. Sure, War Games. What, did we talk about this one in the Steel and Nuclear Bomb, or was it another one? Uh, so we've talked about it at least one other time. Yeah, it's a great movie. What are we up to, like 10,090 podcasts so far? I think so. And we've mentioned War Games in about half of those. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, in 1983, um, Matthew, a young Matthew Broderick, Although Extremely young. he still looks exactly the same. <laughs> he really does, doesn't he? He doesn't age. Sarah Jessica Parker hasn't aged either. Yeah, but if you look at Square Pegs, her versus Sex in the City, her, there's quite a difference. Okay. Although I still don't find her very attractive, to be honest. Oh, Chuck. <laughs> I'm going to hear from the ladies on that one. And Sarah Jessica Parker. Ah, oh, dude, if she listened to the show, that'd be great. You're really hot, Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Josh, in War Games, uh, uh, Matthew Broderick um, hacks into the NORAD system and to play some games. 
and what he chooses to play is thermonuclear war mm-hmm. and the computer constantly at the end of the movie you know it's like the only way to win is not to play right which, which is, is true. actually correct and that is right on the money it's um it's also akin to a, a an actual game theory exercise called the prisoner's dilemma yeah that's cool tell us about that josh well the prisoner's dilemma let's say you have um two accomplices in a crime that are separated let's say it's you and me all right so chuck you're being uh, interrogated in room a josh did it uh, that's <laughs> well we're both in trouble <laughs> right. right um well i'm in trouble and you're not right but let's say we're we're actually buddies and we like each other outside of the podcast sure that'd, that'd be cool and we we've committed a jewel heist uh-huh so we've been caught but nobody's said anything yet. Right. You're in interrogation room A. I'm in interrogation room B. Uh-huh. Problem is, I have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea sure. what I'm doing. If you implicate me, I go to jail. You go free. Right. If I implicate you, you go to jail. I go free. But you're if right. If we both implicate each other, we both go to jail. Uh-huh. What's the best option here to not say a word not say a word and then yeah. neither one of us is implicated and we both go free yeah. that's a classic tv and movie thing too when the uh you always split them up dun, dun. and you and you always go into the uh one room and say your partner's in there singing like a bird yeah stoolie yeah see <laughs> see rocky's gonna fix you see? see yeah and then all of a sudden they get that prisoner to uh or that criminal to uh rat out the other guy because they think that they're being ran at on Which them. is stupid. Yeah, they should just keep just their mouth shut. Just keep your shut. mouth shut. Yeah. Here's the lesson to our younger viewers. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that's a good. That's always good. Never rat people out. All right, so uh, if you want to read uh, more about mutual de- assured destruction, frankly, I think that I, I wrote this a little flowery. Um, that was a good article, actually. But yeah. I, it was one of my, my um, favorite ones. It was just interesting. Yeah. You can uh, type in mutual assured destruction on the site. It'll also bring up... Um, Tom Sheaves game theory article which is definitely worth reading as well uh, and you will type that into the handy search bar which means that it's time for listener mail indeed uh, Josh I'm going to call this our first genuine unicorn email alright sort of what about the ones where people send us pictures of unicorns it's not genuine no okay that's false uh, hi Chuck and Josh you mentioned that you wanted some unicorn stories, and I couldn't resist sending you this one. It might be a good lead-in to a podcast on traditional medicines. This will all make sense in a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just got back from a trip to Vietnam, and as a part of my trip, I went into the hill country in northern Vietnam called Sapa. This is where many minority tribes are uh, residing, and part of their way of life is selling their wares to tourists and offering homestays. Kind of cool. Um, After a day hike, a group of us ended up at a family home, and they served us a delicious dinner of traditional food and something they called happy water. (laughs) I like the sound of that. (laughs) It's homemade rice wine. You can imagine why it's called happy water. Uh, It got us a little giggly to begin with, and what really got us going was seeing the lady of the house nonchalantly walk out of the kitchen with a cow's horn stuck to her forehead as if she were a unicorn. Okay. Uh, When we finally contained ourselves... We all felt like schleps because our guide explained that this was a traditional way of getting rid of headaches. You put on the you put the horn in the fire, you brand it to your forehead, and then after a short time, you take it off. For the next two weeks, uh, you have to run. Uh, you have the round red mark on your forehead. Maybe it hurt more than the headache, and therefore it took her mind off of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Doesn't sound like this. the best. Uh... Crazy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is my semi-unicorn story. Thanks for the great podcast from Ang, who is a Canadian listening in Indonesia. And uh, say Vietnam again. Vietnam. <laughs> Nam. 
Well, thanks, Ang, for that. Um, actually, yes, that is definitely the closest thing to an actual unicorn um, listener mail we've gotten so far. Indeed. Uh, if you have any Cold War stories or any unicorn stories or your name is Ang or contains those letters in that same arrangement, send us an email. You can send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.